When Dorothy learns her daughter Kate is coming for a visit, Dorothy is sure she will be bringing exciting baby news. Sadly, the news is that her son-in-law has been unfaithful, leaving her daughter in tears. Coming to Kate's rescue, Dorothy has to find the right balance of being protective of her daughter and respecting her boundaries and choices. All of this transpiring while Blanche educates Rose on the hilarity of I Love Lucy. Will Dorothy butt out of her daughter's business? Will Rose end up loving Lucy? Why didn't Desi play Desi? All of that and more in today's episode, Son-in-Law Dearest. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. I hope you know you'll always be my sisters. It's a bright and beautiful twilight when we find Blanche in the kitchen in her cream nightgown and silk teal robe. Placing the last of what looks to be some sort of dessert pastry on a plate, she proudly takes it into the living room and sets it among a slew of other treats already occupying the coffee table. Sitting in a chair in her muted Picasso-inspired dress with light blue cardigan, Sophia, of course, has something to say about Blanche's spread, saying that if she keeps piling the treats on, the only thing her butt will fit into is a saddle. Oh, but Sophia, she's not planning on eating all of that at once. Those thousands of calories will be stretched across 12 hours as Blanche is settling in for a 12-hour marathon of the only sitcom that deserves as much reverence as our girls, I Love Lucy. I get that not everyone loved the show. Lucy can be a bit over the top. The stories can get outrageous. Or to Sophia's point, it was the same conflict every week. Ricky, Lucy's husband, had a show at a nightclub, and all she wanted to do was be a part of it, which she usually ended up doing via deceit or accident. And I have to agree with Sophia. There never seemed to be a good enough reason, besides Ricky's ego and Lucy's gender, that should have kept her from participating. She was hilarious and knew how to entertain. He was talented on his own, of course, banging bongos and singing, but it couldn't hurt to have mixed it up. They could have made it big as a husband-wife duo. Coco, were you ever an I Love Lucy fan? I became one through my sister. She was she was a huge I Love Lucy fan, and so I watched a lot of it because of her. That and the monkeys. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, I know I know all of those episodes. I believe I've seen them all at least more at least once. And yeah, it's hilarious. That's great. Did you guys watch it together? Yeah. Was well, it like your thing to do? Or did she like introduce it to you and you would just watch it when you wanted to? She, I would just watch it when she was around. Mm. But I like I like I Love Lucy because of my sister. That's very sweet. I love Amy. That's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me like Lucy. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of the same with Lucy with my mom and Grammy. My mom loves Lucy. And so I yeah. definitely have seen all of the episodes. And I don't know if it was like uh, maybe I just grew out of it because it was something I watched all through my childhood. So I don't watch it as much now, but I'm tempted to revisit it. It has... Been a while. Entering the living room and conversation is Rose in a yellow floor-length nightgown. Excited for her plan, Blanche invites Rose to join. That's when Rose says, who's in it? Shocking to everyone in the room and to all the viewers at home, Ro- Shocking to everyone in the room and to all the viewers at home, Rose Nyland doesn't know anything about I Love Lucy. Even Blanche's rattling off of the star's real and stage names triggers nothing. Having Rose be totally unaware of what was not just the number one show through the 1950s, but one that reached heights of over 23 million people viewing is silly enough. But adding more fun to it all is that Lucy and Betty were actually very close friends in real life. From a great article at thelist.com, White and Lucille Ball met around 1957 when Betty was filming a sitcom called Date with the Angels at Desi Lou Studios, the company Lucy owned with her then-husband, Desi Arnaz. 
Despite an 11-year age difference, the two found plenty of common ground, according to Closer Weekly. Behind their comic on-screen personalities, both women were actually shrewd businesswomen. Like Lucy, Betty was a co-founder of a production company called Bandy Productions. Quote, I was one of the first women producers in Hollywood, Betty once said in an interview. Their mothers, Dee Dee Ball and Tess White, also became good pals who reinforced their daughter's independence and self-reliance. Betty called them dynamite. Besides their own shows, the pair were password buds. Betty, of course, being the queen of the game, was on a special celebrity episode with Dick Martin, Carol Channing, and Lucy. When Lucy couldn't think of a word to give Carol to guess the password of stiff, well, Betty stepped in to defend her friend, cracking up the entire studio. Okay, Dick. Don't buzz a legend. (laughs) (laughs) Who said it? Full class on the buzzer. Absolutely right. George, George, how could you buzz Lucy? I mean, what? You're going to go home and tell your wife tonight, guess what I did? I buzzed Lucy. You can't do that. All right. (laughs) All right, Dick. Rigid. I know my job here on the show is to discuss the pop culture references, but I feel like if you don't know one of the best early sitcoms and the first to star a woman who not only had a fierce independence, but did physical comedy, well... I can only prescribe the rose treatment, get a table full of food, and sit down for a 12-hour marathon. Rose's reasoning for not knowing the show? Her late husband, Charlie, didn't feel the television was perfected, so they didn't want to spend the money to get one. Why can't Rose find a non-cheap man? We'll learn more about Miles' cheapskate ways in the future, but to learn Charlie was so tight he could make the buffalo nickel, which was issued from 1913 to 1938, poop? Well, Rose just needs someone that will spoil her. And with just hearing the word poop, Sophia is inspired and excuses herself. Trading places with her ma, Dorothy arrives in khakis, a white turtleneck, and a red and puce multi-textured sweater that is still battling out which color will be dominant. Now Rose is the one excited about the marathon, inviting Dorothy to join them for a viewing of I Like Lucy. When Blanche corrects her with the strongest Southern, I love Lucy, Rose disagrees. If she hasn't even seen it yet, how can she know she loves it? Oh, Dorothy would love to join. It's just that her daughter is coming for a visit, so she won't have time. When the girls press about why her daughter is coming, Dorothy tries to play it off. Oh, it's nothing. If it were something, I wouldn't say it was nothing. Hoping to change the conversation, Dorothy points out one of the plates on the table, asking, Is that Ramaki? One of the writer's favorite foods from season one is making its return with the mention of rumaki, a water chestnut dish that wasn't invented in Polynesia, but was popular at tiki-type restaurants like Trader Vic's. In kebab form are said water chestnuts, pieces of chicken liver, which are then wrapped in bacon and marinated in a soy sauce before being cooked. Despite her practice as a sheriff, Dorothy is no actor. The girls know she is being secretive. Rose is shocked. Just last night, she confided a secret to Dorothy. Without provocation, Dorothy then lets out the secret that Rose is not a natural blonde. Even when Rose tries to argue that she is blonde, Dorothy quips, Yeah, you and the now blonde for her role in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Tina Turner. Iconic queen of rock and roll Tina Turner has been famous for her wigs for decades. It's believed she actually burned her scalp while dyeing her hair once, which led to her wig wearing and she never turned back. Her What's Love Got to Do With It era is a personal favorite, as Tina Turner was my nickname when I would get up in the morning, as my curly, offensively thick hair was really giving some Tina energy. Returning from the bathroom, Sophia gets Dorothy back, karmically speaking, by asking, Did Dorothy tell you she's going to be a grandma? And with the same energy she had for Mario, Dorothy whines at her mother. Oh, Mario, you spoiled our surprise. Confused, the girls can't understand why Dorothy wouldn't share such good news with them. Two reasons. One, Sophia was the one to talk to Kate on the phone. And two, she didn't specifically say that she was pregnant. So Dorothy was waiting to say until she knew for sure. Sophia isn't so cautious. She's been around the block. 
So when her granddaughter calls to say she has news that needs to be told in person before ending the call to go throw up, well, it doesn't take the mind powers of the amazing Kreskin to figure that out. That kind of deducing was what the amazing Kreskin was known for. Touring and making television appearances through the 70s and 80s, his performances, especially on Johnny Carson, earned him a television show of his own. His act was frequently confused as being black magic or that of a psychic medium, but he promised it was just recognizing body language and for entertainment purposes only. Uh, I can't get it. The club. It's, it's either an eight or a nine. Which is it? Well, you tell me, big shot. <laughs> I, I don't know. I dropped Kreskin. <laughs> it is an eight of clubs. Adding probability to possibility, Dorothy adds that Kate and her husband Dennis have been trying to get pregnant, so this seems inevitable. As excited as she is, Dorothy remains hesitant to jump for joy. She wants to hear it from her daughter first. The act doesn't last long because when the doorbell rings, Dorothy's voice jumps up four octaves and she giddily runs to the door, holding her stomach, throwing her arms in the air, and nearly twirling in her own emotional tornado. Pause. What the hell time is it? It was sunny out, but Blanche is in PJs and getting ready to stay up all night, which is why I figured it was twilight. But Kate has just called. I don't know how close she is, but it seems like odd timing if she isn't a neighbor. Now she's arriving, but half the house is in pajamas. Speaking of odd timing, it isn't Kate at the door getting called Honey. It's Stan, who responds to Dorothy's pet name with a darling before getting the door closed in his face. Wearing a checkered shirt and blue blazer on his body and a mustache and pompadour brand new out of the bag toupee on his head, Stan is looking quite dapper. It's funny Dorothy should say Stan's toupee makes him look like Cheers bartender Ted Danson. At that time, he was known for his luscious locks in a bouffant only my father tried to rival. I say at the time because on one of the final episodes of the series in 1993, Sam, played by Ted, takes off the toupee he has been wearing on the back of his head to cover his bald spot for years. Honey, I'm not perfect. Yeah, right. All right. You really want to know? Watch this. Ted had already gone to the 1990 Emmys without it, but this was a big television moment. Coco, do you remember this moment on television? No, I remember the the rumor, but I didn't know I didn't know anything about it. I just assumed he did have a toupee. One thing I do remember though is him wearing blackface to some awards ceremony. Uh-huh. With uh with Whoopi? Yeah. When that was that seemed an odd pairing. When when were they to, you you have this this info? When, I can make it happen. I'm very curious. Yeah, so for anyone that didn't know, Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg were actually an item in the early 90s. They had met in the late 80s on a movie and became friends and eventually ended up dating. The problem being that Ted Danson was still married. So the tabloids outed them. His wife left him. They ended up together. They were only together 18 months. But in that time, there was a roast of Whoopi. And that is when Ted Danson decided the best way to roast his current girlfriend would be to wear blackface, use the N-word, talk about their sex life, joke about watermelon, all sorts of stuff. There's a whole Slate article that you can find about their relationship or about the roasting specifically. Uh, And uh, I guess she thought it was funny. Spotting the rumaki on the table, Stan helps himself into the house and onto the snacks. His arrival isn't a coincidence. Kate called and left a message for him to meet at the house. He had missed the call, of course, because it was spring break in Fort Lauderdale. He had to go perusing for a new wife. Stan is, unsurprisingly, clueless as to why a family meeting has been called. Dorothy plays dumb that she, too, is totally confused. Referring to Pinocchio, saying Dorothy's nose is growing because she's lying, Rose calls her out. Barely trying to contain the secret, the girls are buzzing. Sophia isn't as worried about keeping it a secret. Stan is Kate's father, and as a yutz, or idiot in Yiddish, he should know what Dorothy is speculating on. The possible pregnancy. 
Before even getting confirmation from their daughter about their news, the ex-couple is already celebrating that they'll be grandparents. For Stan, life is a gas. For Sophia, she has once again been moved by the power of suggestion and excuses herself to go fart. Glowing at the idea of being a grandfather, Stan can hardly believe that a new life will be a part of him. And even with that glaring flaw, Dorothy assures him they'll still find a way to love the baby anyway. With another doorbell ring, Dorothy is certain this time it's Kate. And she's right. Wearing a faux denim with white pinstripe dress that is eight sizes too big, with a sophisticated belt and boots that are the white version of Dorothy's baggy flesh-looking ones, is Kate, played by Dina Freeman. Her latest role was in 2020 in the TV show Casting the Net. Additionally, she appeared in Magnum P.I., Too Close for Comfort, New Heart, Dragnet, Diagnosis Murder, and Melissa and Joey. She's also done voices for A Dog's Life, Captain Planet, and the Monsters, Inc. video games. In looking for clips online, I found this snippet from her reel, edited in a highly hilarious manner. That's what I think, too. What's that noise? Gunshots. Oh, stop. Dina also sold the sheet out of some Tab soda. What's the difference between Tab and Diet Pepsi? Both Tab and Diet Pepsi have been through some changes. And when they changed Tab, they did something terrific. Tab has a blend with NutraSweet. To me, Tab tastes crisp, sassy, and not too sweet. So if you want a sassy taste, the taste you just won't find in Diet Pepsi, try the refreshing taste of one calorie Tab. Come on, your tab is waiting. Ooh, tab's got it. Making her way through the house, Kate hugs and greets everyone except her grandmother. Asking her to spill the beans, Stan pries. Excusing themselves for the family to have privacy, Blanche and Rose head for the kitchen, but Kate stops them. They're family to her, and anything she tells her parents, she can tell them. This only confirms Dorothy's suspicions. Getting emotional, she finds herself leaning into Stan's arm, her joy overcoming any animosity she has for him. That is until Kate breaks what the real news is. Her husband Dennis has been caught cheating and she has left him. Remembering she's being held by the man that did the same thing to her, Dorothy, disgusted, demands he gets his hands off of her. Now that the news is known to be bad, the family excuses themselves to the kitchen to have a more heated conversation. With Kate and Dorothy seated at the table, a fuming Stan is pacing, sharing he'd actually never been a fan of her husband, and that was before the affair. Stan can't even understand what kind of a man Dennis is. If he's willing to throw away a woman as wonderful as Kate just to bed some hot bimbo... Stan's lack of self-awareness only being pointed out by Dorothy, asking him to stop talking about himself. This crisis is about Kate. Affairs can be surprising, and for Kate, it was. She and Dennis were happy, or at least that's what she thought. And weirdly, Stan's right. A study from Taylor and Francis online showed that out of 22 men and 55 women, sexual needs, emotional needs, and falling in love were the major reasons for affairs from both sexes. VeryWellMind.com explains that men do have affairs more often than women. For men, as Stan so eloquently put it, the lack of action in the sack can lead to men feeling unloved. For women, it's more often a disconnect from their partner. They are seeking attention and their new partner can provide it. And if they're dealing with a Mr. 30 Seconds like Stan, a new partner might cure what ails them. Sophia finally makes an appearance, already aware of the news. She checks in with her granddaughter and calls her out on BS when she pretends to be okay. Quoting Bertrand Russell, Sophia commends her granddaughter, saying, A brave front is the first step back. But as far as Coco and I have found, Bertrand Russell, the British mathematician, never said that. But he did give us the quote that inspired Broderick Crawford's Highway Patrol, saying, War does not determine who is right, only who is left. See Highway Patrol again next week. Until then, remember, reckless driving doesn't determine who's right, only who's left. This is Roderick Crawford saying, see you next week. Nipsey Russell, though similar in name, is similar in no other way. The American comedian poet was known for quotes like this one from when he was a panelist on Hollywood Squares with Betty. The one who can make your life complete need not be young and fair. Just be a nymphomaniac and a multimillionaire. Yeah. Okay, I'm not a multimillionaire, but one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> 
That push from Sophia allows Kate to share how she really feels. Lonely. But Dorothy assures her, you have your whole family here to support you and back you up. You might feel lonely, but you are not alone. Stan is so on board the support train, he offers to cancel his business dinner that night just to stay with her. But she doesn't need that much support. So he agrees to go, but only for one hour. Knowing he's lying, Dorothy tells him to be less than half an hour if his business partner, a.k.a. date, doesn't want dinner. So he's leaving his heartbroken daughter, heartbroken because of sex, and doing it for a hookup? Stanley. Spitefully, Stan leaves, telling his daughter to keep her chin up and his ex-wife to keep all of her chins up, too. It's sometime in the midst of the 12-hour Lucy marathon, and the girls are enjoying giggles and snacks on the couch. But Rose still needs some clarification, and she gets it via Blanche and a who's on first, who is Reagan married to summer school type mix-up. Who exactly is Ricky? He's Ricky Ricardo, the co-star of the show. He's Lucy's husband and throughout the series works at and owns nightclubs where he puts on shows singing, dancing, and playing the bongos. I thought Desi was Lucy's husband. Yes, Lucille Ball was married to husband Desi Arnaz from 1940 to 1960. Yes, he wasn't on the show? Yes, he was. He played Ricky Ricardo. Who did Lucy play? Lucy played Lucy, but not Lucille Ball, which was her real name. She played Lucy Ricardo. Well, then why didn't Desi play Desi? He wasn't tall enough. At five foot ten, Desi actually wasn't tall enough, as Lucy was known to date taller men. Too bad they couldn't call on the real Lucy to help with Kate's situation, because Desi was known as quite the philanderer. If I had to guess as to why they changed the name, I would say it would either be that the role wasn't cast yet or that it sounded too Cuban. Producers were already worried his accent and their interracial relationship was going to be controversy enough. Coming down the hall, looking exhausted and worked up at the same time, Dorothy interrupts the Lucy viewing. She has never been so upset. She's never seen Kate so upset. The whole situation is triggering for her, not only to see her daughter hurt, but it has to be a painful reminder of Stan's behaviors. As Dorothy continues venting that she feels like she's been disemboweled, the girls are too distracted by Lucy and crack up through her vulnerability. When they realize she's hurt, they apologize, but validate their ignoring of her because they're watching the Too Many Crooks episode of Lucy. Then Dorothy gets a little passive-aggressive, leaving the room, saying she didn't realize a TV show was more important than her family drama. But let's be honest, that's all of us if we're watching The Golden Girls. Oh, yeah, uh-huh, wow, that sounds awful. When Blanche and Rose don't catch Dorothy's hints, she opens the kitchen door and gives her supposed friends an ultimatum. You either shut off the TV and come comfort me in the kitchen, or the TV goes out the window. And with that, the ladies leap off of the couch and get to supportin'. Checking in with Dorothy, she reminds them of her recent TV-throwing threat as a gauge for how she's feeling. As for Kate, she's still in shock, hence her lack of tears or emotion of any kind. Dorothy gets it. She experienced a whole day of shock when Stan told her of his first affair. Her shock wasn't expressed in the same quiet, numb way of Kate. She expressed herself by cutting out all of the crotches in Stan's pants. She was feeling symbolic due to teaching English lit at the time. Rose can relate. While she didn't experience the heartbreak of Charlie cheating, she dealt with the panic of thinking that he was. It was 18 years into their marriage. Everything had seemed great, perfect even. Then one day, Charlie came home from work. Like usual, they ate dinner, went upstairs and went to bed, and Charlie went to sleep. When Rose pauses, seemingly ending the story, Blanche and Dorothy remind her that part of telling a story is, in fact, the story. Rose clarifies, the issue was that Charlie went to sleep before they could be intimate. No, it wasn't a special occasion, and no, it's not that he had promised to get freaky that night. It was that this occasion was the first time in 18 years that they did not have sex. We're not going to count healing time post-giving birth or anything. Hopefully. Blanche will not stand for this story. She just can't believe it. Dorothy is rather baffled as well, but it's true. They'd take their bellies full of herring and flergenbergens and jumble them around all nasty-like. Every night. So when I Love Lucy was on at 9 p.m. Monday nights, well, how could Rose have known? Rose's crying about Charlie didn't last long. 
It was a one-time deal, and by the following morning, he was ready to rumble. That's right. Every morning and every evening, Rose and Charlie Nyland were getting it on. Ole, insatiable Charlie was right, though. Sex can help relieve headaches and releases hormones that help promote healthy hair. From mindbodygreen.com, a 2018 study found that 25% of couples have sex once a week, 16% have it two to three times a week, and 5% had sex four or more times a week. Rose and Charlie fall into the 4% that have sex daily. And twice a day? I don't think that even shows up as a percentage. Furious, Blanche pokes at her ice cream while calling Rose's bluff. For someone that was having sex twice a day, you certainly don't like talking about it. That's because for Rose, she's found that those who talk about sex the most are having it the least, allowing for Dorothy to give a glorious head-turning performance, basically saying to Blanche, and what do you have to say about that? I've actually kind of found that to be true, more so regarding male sizing, if you will. The ones that don't shut up about it are the ones that don't have much to be talking about. Coco, um, often people brag about, oh, I had sex every single day. I I don't find that appealing. It sounds chafy. <laughs> and I just can't imagine wanting to do that every day no matter what. Don't feel good. Body feels weird. Death in the family. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Lost your job. They and they've been through stuff and they've had kids. You're telling me she was running around with the kids all day and then he comes home like, "Oh, got to go do that." Threw out your back. Maybe he was like Stan and he was a 30-second guy and it wouldn't be so What did Charlie do for work? Oh, we'll find. Well, he was a He was a traveling salesman. Mostly. What? <gasps> oh my God! Plot whoopsie. Yeah. They couldn't have had sex every night. Maybe they just mean sex every night he was home. Which, which is now making a lot more sense if he wasn't around that much. That's very different. But she would have known about I Love Lucy. But yeah, there's definitely a, an episode where she talks about him being a traveling salesman. Wow. We've got you, Rose. We've done it. <laughs> Plot whoopsie. <laughs> You've been whoopsied. Sex is great. For me, there's no way. There's just no There's no way to live like that. <laughs> Every day. I would like to have a slumber party with my friends. And do sex? No. <laughs> I'm just saying if I, you know, have a ladies night or go to my other friend's house and like have a slumber party. I don't want to be, oh, I got to get home. Do you remember the guide channel that used to be on cable? Yeah. And so all the channels would scroll up and hopefully you'd catch it at the right time so you could see what time your show was going to be on. Or you'd have to wait 15 minutes. Oh, you'd have to wait for it to scroll, especially once cable really had a lot of channels and it would scroll and you're like, no, <laughs> I wanted to see what was on channel 700 and now it's at a thousand. I have to wait for it to go all the way through. But the best was when they added the adult channels. Mm -hmm. And my mom and I were watching one day and I have a horrible memory, but sometimes things just stick in my head. And my mom and I had decided for whatever reason, for the first time ever, we were going to order a pay-per-view movie. And it was City of Angels starring Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage. And while we were doing it, because we had to wait for the on-demand channels, the adult channels came through and it was awkward. I was just old enough to know what it was, but still not old enough to be like really knowing what it was and one of them that went by was i love juicy and we both cracked up city of anals ah! <laughs> yeah i love juicy defeated blanche gives up moving the conversation to an offering of coffee luckily she's saved by the bell when the doorbell rings as rose leaves to answer it dorothy rhetorically asks blanche why men cheat Easy. Blanche knows men cheat the same reason dogs lick themselves, because they can. Dorothy was expecting it to be Stan on the other side of the kitchen door when Rose returned, but instead it's Rose begging Dorothy to stay calm and to not lose it. In this moment, Rose is representing all of my friends and family, and Dorothy myself, in any scenario ever. Rose wants Dorothy to stay calm because at the front door was Dennis who coyly greets Dorothy with what has to be one of the most cringe-worthy names ever, Mother Dorothy. 
Reminds me of a tombstone. My mom and I saw at an L.A. cemetery once. This thing was like four and a half feet tall and just said, rest, mother, rest. We still say it all the time to each other to be creepy. Playing scumbag cheater Dennis is Jonathan Perpich. He hasn't acted since 1990, but before stepping away from the spotlight, he appeared in The Incredible Hulk, T.J. Hooker, Facts of Life, Eight is Enough, Matlock, Dynasty, Beauty and the Beast, and China Beach. With a stern, deep voice, Dorothy shames Dennis for even having the gall to show his face there and tells him to leave. As he pleads with his mother Dorothy, she yells for him to stop calling her that. She hates that name. It sounds like the example of generosity of the poor when Mother Teresa was handing out rice in Calcutta and a family split the food with a neighbor, which is a story used to show that those who have experienced poverty are more likely to give to others, which is true. A survey from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics found the poorest fifth of Americans donated 4.3% of their income to charity, while the richest fifth donated just 2.1%. Within that bottom 5% are larger populations of women and immigrants. Both demographics were found to be extremely generous. Dennis isn't interested in leaving. He knows Kate is there and he wants to talk to her, but she isn't there. When Dennis kind of creepily pushes that he needs to know her whereabouts, Blanche doubles down. She isn't here. She went out with Gloria Steinem, Betty Friedan, and Marlo Thomas. Marlo Thomas, who isn't a lesbian like her father Danny, as she's been married to talk show host Phil Donahue since 1980, does have a deep love and appreciation for her best friend, writer and feminist Gloria Steinem. Marla was already a feminist icon as the star of the groundbreaking sitcom That Girl, so she was a natural choice to play Gloria in a made-for-TV movie in the 1970s. From IndieWire, the pair went to a meeting for the film, and across the table from them sat a producer. Looking at the two young women, he said, I don't know which one of you two bleep first. They ganged up on him, left, and didn't make the film, but they did become lifelong friends. Betty Friedan was a leader of the women's rights movement alongside Gloria. Even though they shared similar goals with their activism, Betty and Gloria just could not get along. It would take the wrongdoing of Dennis to bring the three powerful, non-BS-taking women together. When Kate comes down the hall in a nightgown that looks borrowed from her mother, she's surprised to see her husband there. Not in shock is Dorothy, who instructs Dennis to get out, but Kate can hold her own. So she tells Dennis to get out, but he begs, we've got to talk. You don't owe it to me, but please, just one minute. With the nightgown and mannerisms of Dorothy's door opening, Kate holds the kitchen door open as Dennis walks through, looking like his tail is between his legs. Alone again, Blanche can't help but wonder how desperate Dennis's talk will be in hopes of getting out of the doghouse. Dorothy's not concerned about that. She knows how tough her daughter is. She won't fall for his lies. In fact, Dorothy's grateful he came. Kate can let him have it, and it can all be over with, at least for the time being. That's great and all, but Rose is more concerned about getting Marlo's autograph. Once again, in real life, Betty could have gotten an autograph being in the business with Marlo, or perhaps for when Marlo interviewed Betty for the Huffington Post in 2017. It's clear Dennis was granted more than one minute of Kate's time. The girls have been waiting so long for the conversation to be over, they've turned the marathon back on. Blanche and Rose are having a ball. Lucille ball. But Dorothy remains anxious. It's not because she doesn't like Lucy. She wants to know what's going on in the kitchen. Counting time via the Lucy episodes. No, it hasn't been the 30 years since the episodes have aired, Dorothy. It's only been two episodes, so an hour. It reminds me of when I was a kid and I would ask my dad when he would be coming home from work and he would tell me via Flintstone episodes. Personally, in my time working with kids, I found SpongeBob to be a good go-to. Every kid has watched it and they have 15-minute segments offering more time options. Recess will be in two SpongeBob stories. (laughs) Just then, the couple emerges, Kate staying by her mother as Dennis swiftly walks out the door. Dorothy's annoyed he didn't stop to say goodbye, but good riddance. Well, he didn't say goodbye because they actually talked everything over and Kate has offered for him to stay the night in his mother Dorothy's bed. Yeesh. Outraged and baffled, Dorothy cannot believe what she is hearing, that her daughter has made amends with the man who hurt her so badly. 
it's clear some of Dorothy's feelings towards Stan are being transferred into her daughter's situation. Blanche can read the room, so she forces Rose to go to the kitchen with her to watch Lucy on one of those tiny black-and-white televisions. I know that sounds bad, Rose, but it's okay. I Love Lucy was a black-and-white show. Back to Kate validating her marriage to her mother. Dennis explained everything and made a heartfelt apology. Dorothy doesn't care. What is there to explain? How sex works? She already taught that to her when she was 12. As for the apology and promise to never do it again, Dorothy doesn't care. She's been down that road and knows all that awaits her daughter is more pain. She can see the mistake being made a mile away. Somehow having the nerve to stay in Mother Dorothy's house, let alone bed, is Dennis coming in with his suitcase. They don't stop arguing for his sake. Kate is not only defending him, but setting boundaries with her mother. It is her marriage to worry about, not Dorothy's. If she wants to be with him, Dorothy should be able to move on and forgive him. When it's clear Dorothy can't imagine doing such a thing, Kate expresses regret for even going to see her once she got the news. With that, the couple retreat to the bed, leaving Dorothy in the living room. In the next scene, we get to see a new robe on, is that Ellen? There is a movie of us making love. Do you know anything about it? They're threatening to show it on television throughout the world. Oh no, it's Dorothy, and she's bursting into Sophia's room covered in large blotches of bright colors. Very kindergarten art teacher smock, and I like it. Dorothy's distraught, and so am I. If she isn't sleeping with Sophia and her bed is occupied, where the hell is she sleeping? That's not what Dorothy is upset about. It's the whole Kate's husband sucks thing. Frantically giving Sophia the update, Dorothy tells her they've reunited. Tired and wanting to go back to sleep, Sophia tells her, that's great, before telling her to get the hell out. But Dorothy can't just let this go. Kate won't accept the fact that what Dennis did was awful. Sophia's unbothered. It's not just tiredness making her want to go back to sleep. She wants to get back to her dream, wherein she was alone on an island with Cesar Romero in a loincloth. I love a twisted television universe. If Sophia is dreaming about hunky, mustachioed actor Cesar Romero, then who the hell ends up playing future lover Tony? Dorothy is still worked up and needs to talk, but Sophia can't be bothered to validate her concerns. The loincloth was only the size of her washcloth. Good night. <laughs> oh, how delicious it is! In the late 80s, there was an argument going on between condom companies and network television. Because of the AIDS epidemic, there was a call to action for condom commercials to be allowed on the air. But networks were too concerned with the scandal of it all. So an ad didn't air until 1991. That argument is not what Kate and Dorothy got into. Hey, you want to know how to protect something? You wrap it up. You want to protect it? You wrap it up. So, you want to protect it. Wrap it up. Not only is Dorothy angry at Dennis, she's shocked Kate is taking him back. She should have a say on how upset it made her because Kate came to her in her hour of need. Ah, but Sophia points out, Kate came for support, not motherly overbearingness dictating how to live. Their marriage is not Dorothy's business. To make the point, Sophia takes us back to Brooklyn, 1949. Stammering through the details like she's a sports reporter, it was the first anniversary of Stan and Dorothy. She had cooked a special dinner, but Stan came home late, had lipstick on his shirt, and did not get her a gift. Devastated, Dorothy ran to her mother's home, looking a mess. She didn't know what to do, so she asked her mother, What do I do? Sophia's response? Well, she can't remember. Luckily, Dorothy can. The advice? If this day was wiped from the record, is he still the man you want to be with? Which I can't decide if that's good advice or not. It, it seems kind of beautiful and powerful, but then it's also like, if that one day included being awful or abuse or cheating on you and it hurts you and breaks your trust, can you just wipe that day? Well, that's just impossible. It's an unreasonable idea even to me yeah to be like that day didn't happen well it did happen because i remember it <laughs> i'm hurt by it <laughs> i'm hurt by it we have to resolve Yeah, it's that. a very sophia thing to just kind of like that happened but now that that's not today so it kind of didn't happen so it doesn't affect today yeah which is 
I feel like we talk about this almost daily, that that is not the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything then affects us now. Yeah. But it makes sense that Sophia would be like that. She mm-hmm. grew up in a very tumultuous place and time. Yeah. A lot of wars. A lot of wars, a lot of depression. So I could see her being sort of... Immigrating into a new country, all sorts of things. Probably had to deal with a lot of, you know, racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been through that. a lot, so it's very like, move on. If you took time to sulk, you would never get through life. Well, I've done pretty well. <laughs> That's not my saying. I think that's Sophia's vibe. (laughs) Sulk away, darling. Sulk, sulk, sulk. When confronted with that question, Dorothy, much to her mother's chagrin, said yes. And even though she disagreed, Sophia kept her mouth shut. This was only something Dorothy could figure out on her own. And the same goes for Kate. And even though the point of butting out has been hammered into Dorothy from Sophia, she still doesn't feel like she can stay out of it. Relatable. (laughs) But Sophia warns her, if you push this too hard, you may end up being cut out of Kate's life, keeping her from not only her daughter, but future grandchildren. As Dorothy leaves with a lot to contemplate, Sophia rolls over, dismissing the barely-dressed Caesar that has quickly returned to her dreams. She's just not in the mood. It's the next morning, and Blanche and Rose have just wrapped up their marathon of Lucy. The last one was a classic, and they're both still just tickled by it. Getting food in the kitchen, they find Sophia at the table. As Rose shares, she just loved staying up all night. She'd actually never done it before, not even when she was getting busy with her husband. I get that for Blanche, the amount of booty may sound appealing, but getting intimate from 7 to midnight every night That's five hours. Then only getting five hours of sleep to wake up and do it again from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. does not sound that appealing. Wait, they're they're only sleeping five hours a night? Yes, and they're having sex for seven. Wow. Well, she looks great. (laughs) Oh, she does say that, right? Her hair is beautiful, yeah. Probably why it stays blonde. Exactly. But she's not naturally blonde. I guess that they didn't worry about church either, since Sunday mornings were special and they added an additional five hours for seven total. And they had children? My lord! To quote Blanche, no wonder she still mourns Charlie. After her conversation with Sophia, Dorothy took some time to think about how to handle her emotions and Kate's boundaries. She's not keeping quiet. She has to express herself, even if Sophia is certain it'll strain the mother-daughter relationship. Speaking of strains, enter Stan via the hidden key for the back door. Guess his dinner meeting went well. Cheerfully, he asks if he smells waffles. When everyone tells him no, he asks if he could. I love this joke so much. That was really one of the funniest lines uh, of the series to me. I laughed very hard at that one. Yeah, it's a really good one. (laughs) We'll use it at my parents' house. Classic Stan. No, he's not at a house of pancakes, but it is a house occupied by the sin-in-law. Stan just can't believe Dennis is there, and he's ready to rumble, if someone will hold his hair. When Kate comes in, she confirms it. They're back together and headed for the airport. Maybe to fly on a vacation? Maybe to fly home? Did they have last-minute tickets in case of a cheating emergency? We'll never know. Before the happy couple can leave, Dorothy has something to say, but not to Kate, to Dennis. Finding him in the living room, packing up the bags, Dorothy initiates a tough conversation. As she and Dennis head for the lanai, Stan joins. All because one sperm found its way to her egg. So, does that mean Kate is the oldest child? Wouldn't that make her about 38 to 40 years old? We haven't heard an age, so we can't go full whoopsie here, but it's definitely toying with the idea. (whistles) Getting outside, Dorothy won't allow Dennis to say anything. When he sits, Dorothy starts her prepared speech. Her daughter was hurt, and seeing her that way was unbearable for her. As a mother, her job is to protect her child from the mean things in life, and what Dennis did was hurtful, and she just wants to tear him apart. Giving a speech of his own, Dennis, who only earns pursed lips and suspicious eyes from me, declares he will never make such a stupid mistake again. An emotional Dorothy is glad to hear it. Before they part, she reminds him that if he does anything like that again, she'll break every bone in his hand, leaving him permanently damaged. 
You know, Dennis really seems like a guy that's going to cheat on her at the airport. Yeah. His I don't like his vibe. No. At all. Oh, I was yeah, I was going to say earlier that whoever Dennis was cheating on his wife with didn't enjoy it. Thank you. <laughs> that hair. That hair. The 80s hair of men. Travesty. Yeah, center parted poofies. So much poof. So no many control, feathers. Feathers off the back. God. Steve Perry. Yeah. Yeah, this feels like definitely the first time Dennis got caught. And you made a good point, too, about kind of the generational trauma of cheating. That having experienced what her parents went through because of Stan's infidelity, how interesting that she ended up in the same situation. All made up and without damaging any relationships, the couple hugs their in-laws, making plans for Memorial Weekend. Even Dennis can join. And they seal the plan with a very strong hug between Dorothy and Dennis. A very strong hug. A threatening hug, really. All of the girls celebrate Dorothy's strength and mothering. She acknowledges that her great skills came from her own mother. Returning from taking the kids to the car, Stan starts to see his way out as well. Before going, he has to acknowledge how good it felt for the two of them to be working together, co-parenting with the best of them. How could a pair that works so well together end up bitterly divorced? Oh, right. Stan got bored sexually and cheated. That reminder is met with a hug from Dorothy, the same brute-strength, rib-breaking hug she gave Dennis. While studies tell us Kate and Dennis only stand a 16% chance of working things out, that's for them to deal with. When it comes to the judgment of relationships, my rule has always been the only people who know what's going on in the relationship are the people that are in it. But that doesn't count for hurt. When one of my girlfriends have been slighted by a date or partner or someone I care about is treated poorly in a romantic relationship, I don't care what goes on behind closed doors, but I do care if my loved one is hurting because of the choices of someone else. I don't know what the right answer is, but I've always felt talking about feelings and concerns is a better option than being that friend who, once they break up, says, I never liked that guy. That's not to say that it's an easy conversation. As archaic as Sophia's stay quiet or you'll lose the relationship approach may seem, I know we've all had that proven right. That a little pushback on a friend's decision might be seen as judgmental and cause a rift. When approaching it, it's important they know you're coming from a place of love and concern, not judgment and sabotage. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk private dicks with... To catch a neighbor. I am here to set the record straight about sex appeal and a woman's weight. It's nice to be neat and look petite, but if you want to feel some heat, you got to have some meat. <laughs> the company Lucy owned with her then husband Desi Arnaz. No flow on that one. You say there is an age difference between the two? Yes. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz? What was, in which way? Oh, which... no, that was between Betty White and Lucille Ball. Son of a... <laughs> so she was older in the marriage than Desi Arnaz. <laughs> is that right? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, no, Desi was six years younger than Lucy. Oh, so there was an age difference. There okay. was an age difference. Okay. Not not severe or anything. Not, not major. Six years. Not, That's... yeah, off-putting. No, not, not startling. <laughs> Arms in the air and nearly twirling in her own emotional tornado. <laughs> Maybe they'll find each other again. <laughs> Damn, son. <laughs> well, I'm back on the whoopee train. <laughs> poo, poo. <laughs> toot, toot. Damn it. <laughs> I had one shot. You had to one do chance. A, toot, toot. A toot, toot train. <laughs> and you went poo, poo. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and I'm homebound. Breakfast at Tiffany's. No. <laughs>
I think so. And she's on the piano. She's playing the piano and the piano. <laughs> and there's a flatbed truck with the piano, and she's like driving through the town playing the song. I only want to be with you. If I could fall into the sky tonight. Beep, 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 boop, 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 boop. No? Anything? When the thunder rolls <laughs> and the lightning strikes. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Seventy per- in a recent study, seventy percent of people think it's time to be done with COVID <laughs> and okay. to just get on with our lives. Well. It's like, cool. I, I guess I agree with that. I would like that too. I would like that. That's but... not. You can't decide. <laughs> it's like telling the sun not to come up. <laughs> it's happening. COVID is the sun, and it's up. <laughs> A little skit, a little skit we wrote out. Thank you. It might not have sounded, you know, <laughs> good, but it was. <laughs> and a who's on who's. <laughs> Marlo Thomas, who isn't a lesbian like her father Danny, has. <laughs> has there ever been a Weezer Romano mashup? Hmm. What would be the Romano part? Oh, we, oh, I look just like the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying take Weezer songs and turn the lyrics into things about Cesar Romero. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Cesar Romero, that's who I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging with Caesar Romero. <laughs> I think. Hold this bed as I go to sleep. I'll get you, Batman. <laughs> I need to clarify a, a previous statement. I accidentally said Weezer Romano, which is obviously Weezer and Ray Romano. I meant Weezer Romero. I may have said both things. I think you did say Romano because then I was thinking Ray Romano. That's what I, yeah. We, <laughs> That's really funny. You asked me that and I was like, why am I thinking about Ray Romano all of a sudden? <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.